0: Welcome to Bowties in Business, where a fashionable nerd and knowledge meet. Regardless of whether your career is just starting, steady, or stalling, join me and a collection of business and thought leaders who are experts in their field as they share their decades of first-hand, real-world experience, from the ground floor, the executive suite, and every corner of the business world. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you being here and taking the time to learn about being a better salesperson and sales leader. I'm your host, Tim Kubiak. If you like what you hear, please subscribe using your favorite podcast service. You can now find us on iTunes and Spotify under Bowties in Business. For additional information and expanded content, visit timkubiak.com. There's a link in the show notes that'll take you to the bonus materials directly related to this episode. The topic today is things your CRM system isn't telling you. CRM stands for Customer Relationship Management System, and they're also most commonly referred to in sales circles as CRMs. And there are a lot of great options out there, and certainly your sales process and your database are huge assets, not just for you as a salesperson or your sales teams, but also for the company as a whole. As a friend of mine used to say, the database is the lifeblood of a business. However, as great as they are, there are things that even the best designed and deployed CRM systems aren't telling you critical things that matter, whether you're a sales leader or an individual contributor. Before we jump in, though, I'm excited to introduce you to our guest, Steve Ural. Steve's an experienced sales leader and executive with more than 25 years of national and international experience. His vast knowledge and numerous success stories have made him sought after as a sales expert and strategist. Throughout his career, Steve's demonstrated that with the right sales team, armed with solid sales fundamentals, innovative sales strategies, and aggressive execution, they can not only put the company in the game, they can win. Steve's diverse sales and management backgrounds includes building high performance revenue engines for technology companies within the network and security integration space, enterprise software, high-end optical imaging, leading edge semiconductor test equipment, and DEC compatible storage and tape solution marketplaces. Steve's clients range from multi-billion-dollar global corporations to emerging businesses. He's helped clients sell into highly competitive and rapidly evolving markets by improving revenue capture, efficiency, and velocity. And for me personally, this is one of those amazing business relationships. I first knew Steve as a customer a couple of decades ago. Then I first worked with him when he stood up his company, Red Card Solutions, in a new business development role. He helped me bring on new customers. And since then, I've worked with him several additional times, including a business transformation where we helped set up and evolve a sales organization and a high growth one where we went from $250 million in annual revenue to in excess of a billion in revenue. He's been a great customer, consultant, mentor, and friend to me. Steve, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Great to be with you Tim.
0: So Steve, I know you really well and I know you you have an amazing sales career, but one of the things that, just so our listeners can get to know you a little better, can you talk about some of the things or one of the things you did prior to going into business?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, most people don't know this about me, but I'd love to share the story when I first learned how to sell. And that was uh, back right uh, at the beginning of my college career, I'd finished playing competitive football. And I found myself living back at home, trying to figure out where I was going to go to college next. And like anyone, I said, well, I better go find a job. And so there was a uh, article uh, in the Orange County Register, and they were looking for deputy sheriffs to work for the Orange County Sheriff's Department. So I applied, I got hired, I got trained, and then I ended up working in the Orange County jail. So that's... Happens at 20 years old. And when I, that was my first sales job, the ratio of deputy sheriffs to inmates was one to 250. So to get 250 people to do what you want them to do, you had to figure out why it was a benefit for them to do it. Because there was no reason for them to do it, they didn't have to. And certainly they had you well outnumbered. And I think I've taken that kind of competitive selling skill. Uh, into the workplace. So, uh, working as a deputy sheriff, I always say, was my first real sales job.
0: That's amazing. Um, you know, talk about a 250 to 1 ratio. That's one, if it goes bad, it can go really bad. <laughs> so, go really
1: bad. And the outcomes are a lot worse than losing a sales deal.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> so, So, Steve, your company's been around for about 15 years at this point, right? And you've done some amazing coaching. But can you tell the story behind how Red Card got started and got its name?
1: Yeah. So, uh, again, I started Red Card in 2006. And as I was trying to figure out what I could name my company, I was out at my twin girls. And they were in youth soccer at the time. And one of my twins just got literally run over by this other uh, girl on a, on an opposing team. And this referee puts up a red card. And I didn't know soccer. I didn't play soccer growing up. And I asked the uh, coach, I said, what is that? And he said, well, number one, that girl is out of the game. And number two, they can't replace her. And oh, by the way, number three, she can't play in that game next game. And I went, wow, that happens in sales all the time. I think of all the personal red cards I've gotten uh, in my selling career, so again, our tagline is get back in the game. And if I think about it from my twins, from uh, from girls soccer uh, to a team that embraces competitiveness, embraces the fact that they come into a match and they have a game plan and they execute that game plan. If you think about the U.S. women's soccer team and winning the World Cup, it's a it was all about that idea that if I come in with a game plan, I execute that game plan. By the way, I can even get a red card, but I'm going to prepare that if I do get a red card, it's not going to knock me out of the game. So red card solutions and our tagline, get back in the game, all from seeing my girls get a red card uh, when they were in youth soccer.
0: <laughs> that is great. What a fantastic way to come up with your company name. For our non selling listeners, we're just going to do a quick level set. For those that are sellers, bear with me for a couple of minutes here. Um, first of all, we're going to use some terms in the conversation today, so I want to make sure everybody has them. And first one is customer. And when we're talking about a customer, it is somebody who has already purchased from you, whether they're actively buying now or have purchased in the past. Prospect is somebody who has not yet done business with you, they haven't handed you cash for a product or service. We'll talk about things like compelling events. And a compelling event is a reason they have to make a buying decision or make a decision on a solution because of an impending thing, whether it's a new plant opening, a product going end of life, they're running out of inventory, et cetera. We'll talk about a decision maker. And there are several of them, and we'll get into that a little bit deeper here. But those are the people that have the ability to buy from you or influence who buys from you, and then simply a deal is a specific opportunity we're talking about. So with that, Steve, you know, a little more foundation here. Often when non-sellers around, you hear sales guys talking about a sales funnel. Can you explain what a basic sales funnel is for our audience?
1: Sure. it's a, It's the whole concept, Tim, around that you need a lot more at the top before you can get some to fall out the bottom. So if you picture a funnel, you've got a really wide end or wide opening at the top and a very small opening at the bottom. And in between that, that's a, what we call a sales cycle. And every customer has different sales cycles, but a sales funnel represents the fact that you need, on average in our industry, 10x what you need up top to get one out the bottom. And they go through various cycles, and that's the length of the funnel. So that's the simplicity of a sales funnel.
0: Okay. And and then other terms that people throw around that are pretty ubiquitous is what is a forecast and what is a commit?
1: Well, so the F word, I love bringing the F word into it early on. Uh, forecasting is still a, a bit of an art and a science. And forecasting simply means can I forecast, much like the weather, what's going to happen today, what's going to happen tomorrow, and what's going to happen even two or three or four days out in sales forecast is what's going to happen today and part of that is commit so if you're going to commit something that says no matter what it's going to come in and it's going to come in for the time frame that i said it's going to come in for the dollar amount it's going to come in for so again a forecast again art and science If there was a company out there that had perfected it, they would sell that magic to every company on the planet because every CEO, CFO, and VP of sales today still is challenged by the accuracy of forecasting.
0: And that's a really good point. So one of the things that happens with the forecast is inventory planning, product availability, use of capital, making sure that your employer has the credit lines, capital, and whatnot in place. To deliver on the customer need so even though sales is driving it it really does impact the overall business and how it's run so with that let's jump into crm we're just going to shorten it here Um, you know um, why do companies have crm systems and what are the benefits that they offer
1: so customers invest in crm and boy it it, uh, customer relationship management so it's exactly that customers Uh, invest in CRM so they can better understand their customers, better service their customers. We use terms like cross-sell. So if they're buying one thing from us, could they buy additional products and or services and or solutions from us? It allows us to have in one uh, platform, all of the contacts at that customer. Again, that becomes even more complex The bigger the customer is, especially if they're in multi state, multi countries. Uh, So it's just a a system that allows you, as the vendor, to better understand your customer, better service that customer, and better message and support the customer.
0: Now, there are weaknesses, right? No matter how good a CRM system is, whether it's deployed for a small company with five sellers in a single metropolitan area or a global corporation, there are things that People typically lose sight of when they're using a CRM system. So, can you talk about how that impacts sales and getting deals done?
1: Yeah, I think like any uh, value-added software application that CRM is, and as you said early on, there are just there are plenty of CRM systems out there, and the choices are plentiful, and they all have amazing strengths. One of the challenges, though, is when a CRM system is then said, well. I can get this from it. And one of the areas that we continue to see a challenge is, is, that around what we call opportunity management. So I want you for a second to think about in a CRM system, I've got all the contacts at that account. And in an opportunity, those contacts may or may not be involved in making the decision, approving the decision, influencing the decision, or even being able to neutralize a decision. So when CRM, one of the benefits of it, I have all the contacts in it. The negative side of it is those contacts may or not be be involved in the opportunity that I'm currently working. Now, how does that also impact that F term we called forecasting? You know, reps are asked to forecast sometimes more than once a week. They're asked to forecast even multiple times a week, certainly every week, every month, and publicly traded companies, that forecast is so important every quarter. And one of the challenges is when CRM is now the central point of any forecasting organization, is that organization holding true to what's in CRM from a terminology perspective? But what we found is the challenge is that again, in that opportunity management piece, CRM was never built to take the place of opportunity management it was to be addition to it, it was to add to it, but never take the place of. And some of the challenges that we continue to see, as you said, from a five-person selling organization to thousand person selling organization is where they are asking it to become also the opportunity management platform for a company.
0: So, so that's a really good point. So CRM is typically an overarching system used by a company. They may be putting specific information into it certainly marketing often integrates the CRM for the marketing messages but when it comes to actual selling the CRM system doesn't really help the salesperson understand keep me honest here the nature of the deal and who the decision-makers are right
1: yeah one of the the again benefits of a CRM system is you are capturing all those contacts the, de- the limitations, though, is for that opportunity. So a single sales opportunity, can't, I'm asked to pick out of those people that I've got in CRM, what role are they playing? And quite honestly, uh, we may not be able to pick from that list of people that are in the CRM system. So that's issue number one. Who are the people involved? It's also a competitive game of sales that we play. So we rarely work with companies that have no competition in their business model. And again, one of the challenges in opportunity management, if I'm just leveraging a CRM system, is where is the customer's perspective relative to what I can deliver and relative to what the competition can deliver? So I think that competitive aspect, as well as the people and what roles they play in making a decision, is an area that uh, CRM does not satisfy. And I don't think it was ever positioned to satisfy it that way. So let's, let's let's
0: step away from CRM for a second and let's talk about competition because in modern business to business selling, competition can be a number of things, right? So you could be selling a like-for-like like product against another person who is essentially a reseller, if you will, of the same solution. And it might be identical down to literally the part number level and the feature sets are identical. Or you could be selling against a competitive brand. And when you talk about opportunity management, does that change your approach when you're looking at doing a deal and how you position yourself?
1: Absolutely. I think, you know, uh, again, like you said, uh, there are direct competitors out there. So they sell the exact same widget. And now the customer, what is the customer going to make their decision on? And in that case, we often find the customer makes the decision on, well, who can deliver to me the fastest and who can deliver to me at the cheapest price? And that's a like-for-like type competitor. There's indirect competitors, and that is that they can solve the solution to the customer problem uniquely with their own product set. Yet, there's still competitive nature in that. And it doesn't take into account, it doesn't take away the fact that I've got to be good on delivery, I've got to be good on price, but I also have other attributes that a customer may may be looking for. And again, back to the CRM piece of it, that is not captured at an opportunity management level in CRM because that takes an awful lot of thinking from a sales organization relative to what a customer needs.
0: So Steve, you know, if we're looking at modern selling, modern opportunities, the competitive nature of the landscape here. What's your advice to get people to be able to truly compete there?
1: Yeah, I'd like to draw an analogy, Tim, to professional sports. Women, men, no matter what sport it is, you oftentimes see them sitting in a room and they're watching game film. And why are they watching game film together? so that they can actually see what is happening on the field. You often then see professional teams either by position and or function where they they break out and then they go into other film rooms. Then they walk out from that film room to the practice field. They go practice what it is that they saw on the tape. And then they come back in and see how well they did. If I had one, one piece of advice for any Sales rep or anyone that's managing a sales organization is embrace that same thing for sales. There's always those top 10 deals that make or break a company, either in a given quarter or a given year. Get everyone in a room, collaborate, get the best, the best of the best thinking about that, and you'll leave that room with a get better game plan than you had when you walked in the room. That again, embrace the idea. We're in professional selling. Why wouldn't we act like professional teams and sit in room, watch film, and game plan? And,
0: and you t- When we talk about a customer, how often do you see, and, and you've dealt with some huge corporations. I know you've done, helped people do deals. And frankly, I've been on the front lines with you a couple of times where we were doing seven and eight figure deals, right? Transactions. It may have been hundreds of purchase orders, but it was one buying decision. And in in that case, you look at the contacts and you look at the competitive situation. Is there something you can do to assess what decision makers you need to be engaged with, not just where you stack rank with them, but how to engage them and how to message to them?
1: Absolutely. You know, one of the uh, one of the tenets of why I started Red Card Solutions is I had an awful lot of mentorship in my early selling days and I bought into this foundational aspect and mantra and that is sales is a contact sport. So even today again with the ubiquitous nature of CRM, with the ubiquitous nature of even what we're doing today with having technology drive this discussion you still need to interface with people at your customer. And one of the key tenets of what it is we believe a differentiator is for a selling organization is to understand that person's expectations. And how do you understand them? You ask them what their expectations are. And then through the sales process, you continue to ask them based on what we've shown you, demonstrated to you, talked to you about, have you talked to other people about how well are we meeting those expectations? And the next piece of that then is to have the courage to ask that same customer and or prospect. We know that you're also looking at other alternatives to have the courage to ask how well are they meeting your expectations? If you can figure that out, and that's an awful lot, if you can figure that out through every customer interaction that you have, you'll be in a much better position to either invest in that opportunity or maybe make a judgment to say it might be time to exit that opportunity.
0: So that's a really key point. So one of the things you help people drive and do, and keep me honest in this, and that is you help them win some opportunities faster, you help them compete in other opportunities, and you help them decide when to exit because there's not going to be a return on that investment of time.
1: That, that you mentioned early on, Tim, was this idea of, of CRM and being able to, again, from a, from a selling organization, it's one thing, but there's a lot of other resources that support the selling organization, and by the way, count on the selling organization. So in order to help cl- our clients, we help them identify ways we can accelerate business to close. Once we do that, then we're also able to help them to compete more effectively in deals that they have either those direct or indirect competitors. And as importantly, especially when CFOs engage with us from the work we do, they love the fact that we also help companies make a decision to exit an opportunity faster. Why is that important? Those valuable resources, the time and effort on something that we don't have a chance to win, it's as important as ever to get out of that quicker.
0: Steve, so what I've heard you say is CRM is a hugely valuable tool in every company. But by adding in opportunity management, you get the ability to drive specific deals, to have additional perspective, to use your phrase, to put yourself back in the game and to really compete. Am I, am I hearing that right?
1: Absolutely. You know, one of the we we always say to our clients, especially the CFO who manages all of the costs associated with the company, Uh, We like to think that what we do is get even a better return on investment out of that CRM investment you've made by adding a very simple yet innovative uh, opportunity management platform to it.
0: And your opportunity management platform, just because I know it a little bit, right, is not just an augmentation to the CRM system, but it really is creating that standardized system and vocabulary for everyone in a company and it can match their business individually to use. So everyone's using the same words, but then it also goes through and to your point, it's adding value because it is driving you into where deals can be won or deals can be competed against. Is that right?
1: Absolutely. You know, again, the, the tenant of CRM is a collaboration and to be able to, if I'm in London and you happen to be in St. Louis, and I happen to be out here in California, we can actually review anything across the globe through our CRM. We leverage that by being able to now look at an opportunity, agnostic to any kind of methodology that's out there, and say, how can we now collaborate? And again, back to the premise of opportunity management, can we help you more effectively accelerate, compete, and even exit a deal?
0: So, When you're working with a new client, how do you get them all on the same page to understand where they're driving towards and what parts of the organization do you typically work with to do that?
1: Number one, we find out, much like we're saying, uh, every seller, we're inquisitive. And there's a lot of companies out there that actually have an opportunity management platform that they feel is working for them. If they believe that they are having opportunities that continue to slip quarter to quarter, month to month, if they're continuing to find that their hit rate or their win rate, it used to be one out of three. Now it's one out of four. Or if they're finding that they're just putting a ton of resources after that same opportunity that never closes, then they would want to engage with us because again, our, our, we use the acronym ACE. We help accelerate. We help you figure out how to better compete and we help you to very quickly determine, should I exit an opportunity? So that we only engage in customer with customers that seem to have a challenge with either again their opportunity to close business in the time frame that they said they could if they're starting to find that there's a new competitor and they're starting to lose more than they win or if they're starting to hang on to deals way too long uh, that's when we're a hand in glove fit with whatever CRM that they've that they've invested in you hit on some key
0: points there so often companies look at sales as almost a standalone silo right and we talked about the impact on cash flow and inventories and everything else earlier but as you look at this you know one of the things many non salespeople may not realize is the cfo the vp of finance that entire part of the business is as critical to being able to make the sale as anyone And this, your system and some of what you've built helps get them on board because it gives them clear understanding of what's there and where the engagement is and whatnot. But the other piece I think if we look at is that it's incorporating more tools in the tool bag, so to speak, by bringing them into the conversation in a consistent way. That's something we haven't really talked about yet is one of the things that you do is help people have the same sales vocabulary across the organization and in a unique way that fits them. But how does that help accelerate when they're going to win a deal or decide to compete?
1: Yeah, you bring up a really good point, and that is we believe, just like CRM, the, one of the, the fundamental benefits of CRM is to get cross-functional collaboration in a company. And when now we talk about how do we also leverage CRM, is if we've identified, for example, that a CFO from our customer is going to be part of an opportunity that we're trying to win, we want to engage our own CFO. They probably have the same needs and wants, and, and they'll also have ideas on how best to approach that CFO a lot better than us just thinking about it from a sales perspective. So to engage people and collaborate with people cross-functionally in our organization to put together the best strategy and then tactically implement that is how we accelerate business.
0: So, Steve, one of the things, you know, I want to go a little bit deeper on, especially for the, the people out there carrying a bag, carrying a number, owning a sales organization, is going into that opportunity management and helping accelerate closing a deal so as you stand there and you look and I say I'm a new seller, I'm 3 years into the business. I've got my first substantial opportunity. You know, how do you start to look at and scope a deal just to begin with, right? Somebody needs something. Hey, I need a widget. If you're a seller, how do you start to qualify that and expand on who else is involved in the process?
1: One of the challenges very first and foremost, use the term qualify. What we look at very basically is, number one, does a company have to spend money on this project that you're talking to them about? And we try to answer that very quickly, which is, if they do spend the money, what's the good thing that occurs in their environment, in their company? If they don't spend the money, what's a bad thing or a negative impact to their company? If we come out and we all agree that, yes, they have to fund this in order for good or bad things to happen at their company. Then very fundamentally, we start asking very quickly, who are the people that are going to have their hand in making that decision? And very quickly, people can rattle off. Sales reps can say, well, it's Mary is this, and Joe is that, and then we'll say, who else do you think might be involved? Who might be whispering in their ears? Or who might Mary or John or Joe go to, to ask their opinion? If we can figure those people out, then the next is we have to figure out what role they're gonna play in making that decision. And like you said, we'd like to get common nomenclature in our client base. And We don't try to come up with our own terms. We try to keep it across the globe. There's always somebody that can approve a decision. There's always somebody that can make a yes or no go decision. There's always people that influence that decision. And then hopefully we've had enough time in that account with that opportunity to develop a champion and or a coach. And once we've determined that, we actually, we believe selling is to be inquisitive. So we'll ask those various people, what's most important to them? What what are their buying criteria? And there's so many ways you can ask that, Tim, and there's thousands of methodologies out there. But we try to keep it very simple. And Again, the process is what's most important to them. And they'll give us three or four. And then we'll say, can you prioritize that for us? They'll prioritize it for them. And then we'll say, which one of those, if you don't get it, you're not gonna vote for this project to go or vote for us to support this project. Once we get that information from them, then we know what's important to them. And then we have to make a judgment is what it is we have as a solution meet those criteria and the expectations of each of those criteria. And then the final component is, again, we always work with companies that are in competitive and complex environments. So we ask them to say, we also understand that there's competitive alternatives out there. How well are those competitors meeting your alternatives? And if we have a great idea to answer each of those questions, What we've developed is a way to, if you will, sit in a film room and look at an opportunity, visualize it so that we can collaborate with one another. And if we don't like the picture, let's change the picture. If we like the picture, let's execute against that. If we don't like the picture and we don't think we can change it, that's when we exit that kind of deal.
0: Now, when when you get to that decision makers, you get those influence, the people that can give you the order, the champions and the coaches along the way. There's the opportunity for the project in many industries to grow from the simple sale of a thing to a, a complete solution. And part of your approach, and I know it very well, is helping grow that. And it does a couple of things, right? It increases revenue opportunity and the revenue capture for your clients it also helps them be a competitive differentiator because they're now asking questions and truly understanding the business need and then the final thing is is it allows them to give a complete solution and by doing that you know and they'll be unique they'll have stood out but they'll also show some command of the business and have some respect and trusted advisors a term you often hear thrown around in sales. But what's the next thing that you see salespeople do or not do that they should when they've gotten to that level?
1: Yeah, I think it's uh, be inquisitive. If I had to just give you one term, we really work with our clients selling organizations to be more inquisitive. And, and I'm thinking back to how you and I had a lot of fun on a uh, opportunity that started as just a hardware opportunity and not to get into detail about the opportunity, but the customer felt like they needed to buy hardware and they were looking for alternatives. And we had positioned ourselves as a a really good competitor to win that business. But then sitting back and collaborating, we said, but wait a minute, if they buy it, how are they going to implement it? If they're going to implement it, then how are they going to manage it? And oh, by the way, this is only for a proof of concept across 20 locations. We started collaborating and there was some aha moments when we involved senior management, we involved some other folks that were from a support side of our business. And as you'll remember, we then came up with an approach where we went back to the customers and, and sold them on what we believe would be a better approach that would better align with what they're trying to accomplish, not only today, but over the next 18 months, clearly differentiated us. The customer bought into that approach. It totally took the competitors right out of the business. And I think over time, it turned from, you know, a nice six-figure deal into, as you said, a nice seven, 8 eight, uh, eight-figure deal over the next 18 months. So, again, a relentless focus on being inquisitive about what the customer needs, coming back, collaborating with an internal team, people that are smarter than just us individually as a sales rep, and coming back to them with an approach and making sure, again, that we talk to myriads of people from the customer side versus just the one person that we were originally talking to.
0: Absolutely. So with that, I'm going to kind of close with a couple of questions for you that I didn't warn you about. And that is, if you were a new seller today out in the market, what are three things you wish somebody would have told you when you first entered business that they didn't?
1: I wish somebody told me right away that it's, uh, it's the old 80-20 rule. So 80% of the people that want to be sales reps are going to fail and 20% of those people and 20% are going to be wildly successful. So are you part of the 80% or are you part of the 20%? Number two, what does that mean? That means you're going to fail more than you're going to win, especially early on in your career. And much like if you look at a, a baseball analogy, people get into the Hall of Fame for being successful one out of three times. In our business of competitive selling, if I win one out of every three deals, I'm going to be wildly successful. And then the last thing would be, what a great, great career to have when you learn not only the art, but the science of selling. And at the end of the day, if you always wake up with integrity to take care of your customer problems, no matter what it is you're selling, you'll have a a wildly successful career and you'll be part of that 20%, not part of the 80.
0: Couldn't agree more, right? And so many people enter sales by accident. And those are some of the greatest performers. Um, So my last question for you today is competitive world. We've talked about understanding everything in the process. We've talked about tracking opportunities and closing revenue quicker, as well as competing in new places and knowing when to walk away. If you're a sales leader, whether it's a director, a VP, EVP, or chief revenue officer, what are three things that they need to be aware of in today's market conditions to be more successful as sales leaders?
1: That, again, there's so much out there uh, talking about how customers are already making decisions before they ever see any sales rep. And I've seen stats as high as 70% of their decision-making is done before they ever engage with any sales rep. Well, much like in football, if you get into the red zone, the teams that win Super Bowls are the ones that score touchdowns in the red zone. So if I was a director or a VP of sales or CRO, I I would remember the fact that selling still is a contact sport. It's all about being more effective in that red zone, that 30% that takes that deal from qualified all the way from proposed to closed and completed. And most importantly, lean on your CRM. It's a, it's a massively important system, but do not let it just become your opportunity management platform. Invest in an opportunity management platform that encourages collaboration, encourages uh, teamwork, and encourages and, and benefits and rewards, acceleration, competitiveness, and also the willingness that you have, might just have to walk away. not all businesses good business walk away faster.
0: Boy, that's a key point, right? So many it's sometimes the deals you decide not to do that are more important than the ones you decide to do.
1: Yeah, And if, if I could give you a closing thought on that, I have yet to meet a sales rep that can't didn't believe they could win a deal. Any deal, if they are part of that 20%, they can figure out a way to win it. It takes somebody else. It takes somebody on the selling team. It takes an executive. It takes a functional, when you're looking at it and they're unbiased, to give that high performing sales rep that aha moment of, I don't think we can win this. What do you think? And what I found is that high performing reps inc- really, really do uh, appreciate. That kind of candidness, and that's what we try to work with our clients on. A high-performing rep has never seen a deal they can't win, but when they look at it and they get some good, candid and honest and honest feedback from people that aren't in the deal with them, they'll embrace it, and like you just said, I can go win a lot more deals that I'm, I'm competitively pr- uh, positioned to win than deals that I'm not competitively positioned to win, and, and oftentimes it takes other people to help you see that.
0: That is a powerful closing point. So with that, everyone, thank you for the time today. Um, Just a couple of things as we wrap up here. If you have a sales challenge, whether it's personal and you're an individual contributor or it's a team you run or even a business you own, we're happy to talk to you about it. So you can find Steve at redcard-solutions.com and check him and his team out they are incredible, like I said in the opening I've worked with them for close to 20 years. If you reach out to them, do tell them you heard about us here. The other way to talk to us about it is to reach out to me directly, and you can either do that on the Contact Us form on timkubiak.com, or you can email me at tim at timkubiak.com, and myself or one of my team will get back to you. So, Steve, thanks again for the time today, and thank you for educating our audience about sales, selling, and CRM.
1: Really appreciate it and excited to uh, work with you, Tim. You've been a great customer. been a great partner. And you were a great sales rep, as you said, when you were calling on me 20 years ago. And
0: a bad influence. You left that part out. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again for listening. And we hope you've enjoyed this episode. We put out fresh content every Tuesday. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. Tell your friends and share on your own social media accounts. Want us to see what you have to say? It's a BYOB kind of party. Bring your own bow tie. So hashtag bring your own bow tie. Our listeners are important to us. After all, it's you we create this content for. With that in mind, we're doing a mailbag episode once a quarter. If you have suggestions, ideas, or questions you'd like answered, email us at mailbag at This show is produced, edited, and researched by Courtney Kubiak with the help of her rescue dogs, Tequila Rose and Rooney.